It's always good to know when this stuff's working. Yeah. We have a history with yeah. this. <sighs> How are you doing today? I mean, just watching the world go to its knees. You ready to go? Yeah, we got to save archery with this podcast. This is our opportunity. Hi, I'm George Tekmachub here with Steve the... Big Cat. Anderson. And uh, we are self-isolating or however you want to... What is it? What is it? Socially distancing ourselves? Yeah, nothing new for me. Um, yeah, it's normal no, behavior. I was saying I'm at the end. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a challenging thing out there, folks. But, you know, we still got archery. And it's a beautiful March thing. March 18th. Two o'clock Mountain Time. Yeah. So we just experienced a 5.7 earthquake today. That was sweet too. It was interesting. Um, you know, I was I was actually up and working this morning when it started. The last earthquake I'd been through of anything comparable magnitude-wise, um, I was sound asleep in Los Angeles back in 1994. <laughs> I can tell you that waking up to one of those is way worse than sitting at your desk and realizing what's happening. Yeah, I was uh, I was awake, just starting to get going, and house started shaking, and I thought, oh, it's like really windy outside, and then it just kept doing it for another five, six seconds, and I realized this is an earthquake, right? Yeah. And and for those who are unfamiliar, Salt Lake is on a fault line. Several, they're actually. They're always predicting, yeah, they're always predicting that the big one is going to hit us, and that Basically, the Salt Lake Valley is like an old, up, an old dried up bowl of oatmeal. Yeah, it's the it's the on top of it, right? Like you got the the hard layer on top, and the rest below is liquefied. It's like sitting on a bowl of Jello. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, it's the ancient lake bed of Lake Bonneville, which was a giant freshwater lake back in the day, and a, a earthquake on the order of twenty eight thousand years ago caused it to breach and empty, and that's what resulted in now the dead Great Salt Lake. Right. And then it also, they say, carved out a good bit of the Rocky Mountains, like, in a yep. matter of day. Yeah. So, Hell's Canyon, Idaho, I think it's the deepest river canyon in North America. They say that that was basically a big prairie flat and was, uh, was formed in, like, three days' time through, through water coming out of Lake Bonneville. You can only imagine the forces involved. It's just incredible. Yeah. But, yeah, so uh, fortunately everybody at the Easton factory is good. Um, and uh, our sister company down the street, everybody there is fine. So that was great to hear that everybody's good. And, uh, you know, life goes on. I'm just waiting for the yeah. locusts to arrive. Yeah, and the Yellowstone volcano to erupt. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's inevitable, but... On a geological scale, I suppose we've got our time. Hey, you want to talk about archery a little bit? Yeah, we need to save the archery world today, right now. Yeah, because uh, nobody else is doing it. <laughs> world archery has uh, gone ahead and suspended everything until the 16th, from the 16th of March through basically 30 days, um, basically through the end of April, in fact. So, uh, you know, approximately 45 days of suspension to let the world kind of get a, uh, a little bit of a leg up on the 
COVID-19 concerns, which I'm sensitive to because I just got back from the Asia Cup in Thailand where I was the DOS. Yeah. Very successful event there. Yeah, that went well. Um, But we had a... We had a few last-minute cancellations. A number of countries decided not to attend, which is understandable. So, you know, under those circumstances, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, keep. I, I. It's probably best we don't get into our uh, thoughts on coronavirus and everything and blah blah blah. But um, I'm, I'm thinking it. You know, this too shall pass. And we, as of right now, it's looking like we may have an Olympic game still. Yep, as we speak. Of course, the situation is... speaking with pretty high confidence about that, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are currently, you know, it's uh, still early days yet, I guess, as far as the non-Chinese response to this situation goes. So, you know, stuff could change. But, yeah, Steve, that's right. I mean, you know, basically the IOC came out yesterday and said... Keep training. And um, I think that's good advice. You know, obviously it's a challenge for people who are in situations where training facilities might be shut down. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Every Olympian got there, um, and most of them didn't get there by having access to a good training facility. You know, at the beginning. You can still shoot your bow. Pretty much. And, you know, I mean, just for example, you've got your range at home, but, you know, if you have a garage or a, you know, uh, where it's allowed, a backyard, it, there's plenty of ways to shoot a bow. I mean, you can set up a bale in, in a spare bathroom and shoot close bale, you know, shoot close distance. You can train. That's the thing. Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, basically the, um, the World Archery Leadership got together in a conference call a couple days ago to discuss the situation with the IOC and uh, Tokyo 2020. And, you know, that, um, that generated that commitment to hosting the Olympics as planned. And the IOC, you know, specified that all the quota places that are currently awarded will remain with those National Olympic committees in any future qualification event that can be run safely and is fairly accessible to all teams should take place. Now, the, the real issue here is what's going to happen with Berlin in June, because that's the big one. That's the one that everybody was counting on. It's the final qualifying tournament. Right. So that's what we are counting on for our expectation of being able to be able to, you know, for example, for the Americans to be able to get a, um, a full team. Yeah. It's, uh, cause right now we've got Brady and we've got Casey and that's it. Well, we have one man, one woman, technically. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. You're absolutely uh, correct. They are leading They are leading trials, which at this point, trials may not happen. And I don't think trials can happen to the full extent already, like they've been cut short already. Yeah, it depends on, on where some of this stuff is. California is particularly um, problematic because of the clampdown on gatherings of more than 10 people, that kind of thing. Um, you know, by contrast, Japan is going ahead with their trials, but no, no spectators will be involved. Um, the Korean trials process is still going on as far as I'm aware at this time. But again, um, you know, more or less isolating the athletes from any outside crowds. There aren't going to be any crowds that'll, that'll be, you know, watching the events. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, 
if we can't move past this by uh, June, and shooting archery is probably the least of our concerns. But uh, I'm confident. I am confident in us as a people that we can all sit at home, watch Netflix for a brief period of time, and kick this bucket. No doubt. Although I'm not sure kick the bucket is necessarily the phrase. I... <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, mark that. Maybe we edit that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a good way to put it. We, we kick this virus. How about that? I like that better. That sounds good. Um, in the meantime, we've got, we do have other stuff to talk about, uh, and we'll be getting to some listener questions as well. Um, it, one of the, one of the things that uh, people want to know is, um, you know, what's happening with some of the events? Well, you know, the Pan Am Championship, the Oceana Championship, the European Para Championship, all of those were qualifying events for Tokyo 2020 or the Tokyo 2020 Para. All of those have been affected by the suspension of competition um, lasting through the end of April. Now, that means the next big event is supposed to be the European Championship which will take place in Antalya, Turkey, if everything goes well. And following that, there's going to be uh, a World Cup in Antalya, which was going to have been the original Shanghai World Cup. That's now at the end of the year, as you heard from Tom Dillon in our last podcast. So that is the status right now as things stand. As far as um, everything happening in individual countries, yeah, as Steve alluded to, you know, archery is uh, pretty much on hold right now. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to keep training. We're going to keep practicing. We will practice our social distancing at the same time because, fortunately, archery doesn't have to be a team sport. It doesn't have to be. It might be one of the things that, uh, that drew me to it initially, too. Individual sport as opposed to team sport? Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, let's tackle those listener questions. What do you say? Yeah, let's go to it. Uh, number one listener question right now is, did Steve cause the earthquake by falling down? But that's a separate issue. <laughs> that it actually was, did, that uh, that came up. Yeah, there was a near a near fall during the earthquake, but uh, no, I, I think it was uh, not solely me. You know, like, uh, so, so it happened about 7, 10 a.m. this morning, you know, and like I said, I thought it was wind. And then uh, Linda started yelling at me to run outside, and by the time she was done yelling that, it was over. But uh, good stuff. We had, we had about, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, we had a 4.6 aftershock that yeah. gave the office a good shake here. Yeah, I felt that one, too. And, you know, I'm about 20 miles away from where you are, and uh, so that gives you some idea of the magnitude. I mean, it was uh, every bit of 50%, 60% of the original one from the, from the feeling standpoint. And as you said, it was a 4 point, what was it, 4.3? Uh, 4.6 on the aftershock. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, with the original one being 5.7 and being a logarithmic scale, a 4.6 is actually much, much less powerful on the order of, I, I think, six times if I have my math right. But the bottom line is, you know, it's it's going to happen for the next few days, and and yeah, that and that tests your ability to hold steady at full draw. Yes, um, if I were at full draw, I would imagine it looked somewhat similar to uh, some of my most nervous gold medal matches. The same sight picture. Yeah, right. 
So, uh, yeah, Brian Thacker actually wants to get a rundown on your ASA setup, uh, bow, arrows, stabilizers, et cetera. You want to walk us through it? Sure. Um, Start with the bow. So I don't do really anything a whole lot different with my bow from any one arena of play to another. So I'm shooting a Hoyt Invicta 40, uh, Excel Sight, AAE Freak Show QD Rest. What kind of blade you got on the rest? I use uh, a standard blade, standard width, 10 thou. And I use it in the overdraw position, like I always do. Um, and then I have Easton Halcyon stabilizers. They're set up literally from my indoor bow, so exactly the same. Um, I've recently switched to the Excel sidebar mount, which is pretty solid, really like that. And my arrows are Superdrive 25s with 140 grain uh, Pro Point Ballistic, which is the big long points that have you know real long natural point section, good taper to it, so that you don't kick out as far should you hit someone else's pin or knock bushing. Um, you left out your stabilizer weights. Uh, yeah, stabilizer weight. Uh, I don't know, twenty-two on the front, twenty-seven on the back, something like that. And and you're shooting a. a HBC release, is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, HBC release. And um, for veins, I use the, the AAE Stealth Max Hybrid. So it's like a, it's about a three-inch bone. really like those. They're not too tall. If I get too tall of a vein, like a half-inch vein, like a Blazer height or an AAE Max Hunter height, I will, uh, I'll hit my finger quite a bit as the arrow, you know, as I fire the arrow, so. And is that sort of like a medium it. stiffness on that vein? Yeah, it's got kind of the structure to it, so it's got a stiffer base, and then it's got, you know, some flexibility to it. I, I want them to, I want them to have some flexibility, but that one was truly designed, I, I want to say it was designed for, like, crossbow hunting, and they wanted it quiet, right? And uh, that, that was kind of the idea behind, if you structure that vein, you can still get some, flexibility to it which helps with drag and all that but you can keep the, the noise level down because floppy veins just flutter like crazy going down range that's not ideal for a hunting bow but because it's noisy um, right whether that matters or not for target you know i don't really care how noisy it is i just like the vein i think it's a good shape a good height puts enough drag on the arrow works well all right i think that covers it pretty I, uh, well yeah, I am considering trying some uh, Superdrive 19s. I have some, as soon as they're built, I will have some to uh, test out. I think smaller might be better on uh, 3D field more often than not. You Especially know, if it's the, a bit breezy first, out there. Yeah, the first event in Foley was, was quite windy. And uh, it was one of those situations, no matter what I did, like I would, if I held off, I hit right behind the pin. If I held on, I blew four inches out the right. You know, it was just one of those situations. So thinking I want as little wind influence as possible so I can just try to aim where I want to aim. Don't have to try to hold off or whatever. Mike uh, Pate is asking the question or making the statement and asking a question. He's saying that he usually trims a little off both ends of carbon arrow shafts depending on the straightness. But if a shaft seems to have some wobble in it after trimming, do you cull that shaft out 
Or will a little imperfection in straightness not have a negative effect on accuracy? And also, if one end is straight and the other end is not, would you put the knock in the straightest end and the point in the end with the imperfections? So I can address some of this, and I'm, I know you can too. Yeah, I'll, I'll just start by saying yes. I, if, if I have an arrow that's non-directional, meaning straight, parallel arrow, um, ideally you, ha- you use the straightest sides for the knock-in. However, I have shot some arrows with wobble in them, and I'm not convinced that they necessarily will shoot out of the group, you know? But I've purposely tried it, and uh, I think there's so many factors at play. I don't know. I don't know what exactly causes an arrow to not group with the rest of them. But I, I don't worry about a little bit of visual wobble. Um, kind of shoot the arrow on its merits. Shoot them all bare shaft through paper, and then fletch them. Try to get them all knock indexed that way, and that's probably a band aid for any number of tolerance stack issues from the knock to the bushing to your cut to your arrow straightness, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But in the end, if they all hit the same hole, they all hit the same hole, whether they look, uh, you know, like a banana or they're straight as an arrow, for lack of a better term. No, that's that's an excellent way to put it. And it actually covers Mike Pistelli's point, which involves a lot of bare shaft tuning that he says he does a lot of. Uh, Mike mentions that he's never done bear shaft tuning successfully outdoors. If there's the, even the slightest breeze, your, your bear shaft tune starts getting a little wonky and you need to be very careful about that. So, you know, he wants to know if there's any benefit to it besides spending an extra five hours of your life tweaking every option on a bow known to man. Great benefit to it if you intend to compete without uh, veins. Enough said. That's it. Alan Gunter is asking a related question as well. He says that in a previous podcast, I had mentioned that finding the stiff side of the arrow is not really necessary uh, because of Easton's ability to manufacture arrows with very consistent spine around the shaft. On the other hand, Braden Galantine in his podcast mentioned that he absolutely does this. And so Alan is wondering if there's actually a benefit or if it's more of a mental confidence type thing. And I, I think it relates to, Steve, your comment earlier, which is, you know, maybe that Braden is doing some of this rotational stuff, but there's other factors like knock alignment and things of that nature. Yeah, and the, the end part is the key. He said, is this a mental confidence type thing? Yeah, it is. When guys have done that, they feel better about about the arrows or whatever. You know, sometimes they feel like if they skip a step, well, I left something out, now it, it leaves them vulnerable. So guys are going to do whatever it is they want to do. I, through, you know, my method doesn't, I am not out looking for the stiff side of an arrow, but I have also gone through enough of these arrows to know that, especially with an Easton AC arrow, there's usually not a crazy stiff side to where I'm like that concerned about it. Um, there, there's some other guys who they have told me they will check my arrows, give me the stiff side and they will absolutely shoot better. And yeah, maybe so I'll, uh, I'll uh, explore that a little closer someday, but I haven't, from what I've checked thus far, I haven't found any major reason to do that. Now, maybe with carbon arrows, yes. I I just got some results back from a good friend of ours who does a lot of arrow checking overseas, and he showed me some, some of ours that he thought were 
not our best, right? And I said, okay, yeah, that's not that bad. And then he showed me, he compared it with uh, some of our competitors' numbers, and I felt a lot better about our situation. So and he goes, this is normal for them, you know? And it would have been, if you took ours that he said were not our best and, and theirs that were, and gave them, to, gave them to a competitor, it would have been, you know, light years ahead of where they were. I don't say that to put anyone down, so I'm not naming names or any of that, but when it comes to aluminum core product or aluminum arrows, generally your spine consistency is very, very high. Yep, very, very good. Uh, Chad is asking a good question. Uh, he wants to know if the Easton 6.5 millimeter match grade would be a good option for a 3D arrow. My opinion is, yeah, sure, because it's it's got a great price-to-performance ratio. Yeah, I, I would look at the, just depending on weight, um, that or our hyperspeed match grade, which is a little bit lighter version. Made with the same process, by the way. Yeah, yeah, they're very similar arrows. One is a little bit lighter. So, yeah, yeah they, would be, they would work fine for 3D. It goes kind of along what I was just saying of that, uh, you know, a little bit smaller diameter than a traditional 3D arrow, and I, I'm not convinced that's not the way to go. Sam is asking, for sight axis leveling, do we use a level on the riser or a level on the string to set your first axis? My answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, there's some debate on that because sometimes the string doesn't sit level to where the limb pocket sits. So I, uh, I've always used the level on the riser. And what I do with that is I basically, I take two hamski levels as of right now, that's the best third axis, or, or that's the best leveling device on the market until someone makes one better. Um, I've got two Hamski levels, and they read pretty much almost the same. Not not really, but almost. And I put one on the riser and one on my sight, and then I line up the first axis from there, and I leave that one on the riser and do my second and third, you know, at full draw. David is asking a question which is interesting, and that is, how accurate is our target arrow selection chart compared to Archer's Advantage or other online software? And um, my answer to this is, uh, everything is dependent on the quality of your measurements. If you give the chart, the Easton chart, good information and follow the variables, then you're gonna get a good result. Similarly, if you give Archer's Advantage good variables, that is proper measurements, you will also get a good result. And, you know, after that, it becomes a matter of preference. Archer's Advantage is pretty accurate. Yes, I, I like both. I mean, I really, what, what is more important than both of those is having some tribal knowledge on the bow you're shooting. Yeah, because there are variables. Yes, there's so many times where guys go, ah, this bow seems to shoot a lot better with a weaker arrow and sometimes that will go away from what a chart or archer's advantage would tell you now what one case already that i'm seeing is with the invicta i've had guys telling me they're they're shooting better with weaker arrows outdoor and what i'm the the, the thing about that if you were to compare if you were to take archer's advantage or the eastern chart in theory, because the Invicta is a little bit faster than our previous Hoyt Prevail, they would recommend a stiffer arrow. 
right? And it probably wouldn't even change the size, but in theory, you would want to move up the green line towards the stiff side. Um, now, like I said, the guys, people's actual reactions are saying weaker seems to be a little better. So that's where the tribal knowledge part comes into play. So generally, you can kind of ask questions around. The good thing about professional archers is they're all very approachable, uh, usually not that hard to get a question out to them. I don't answer my Facebook nearly often enough, but you know, someday that will happen, maybe during this coronavirus situation. Because you have extra time on your hands. Yeah, so try to find uh, try to find that knowledge from someone who's already got the bow. So speaking of extra time on your hands, uh, Adam is asking, uh, as you're going to have lots of time on your hands, maybe it's time to up your game and get Steve to do some shooting video techniques as well as more podcasts. Yeah, I think that's common. I'm going to be bored eventually, so we'll uh, we'll see. I, I don't I don't know what to do with myself right now because I was supposed to what's today Wednesday. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah, today's Wednesday. So I was supposed to be on the in Louisville today. Yep. Right? Coming back Sunday night. Now I don't know what I'm gonna do this weekend. I think I might go fly fishing or something, but there there could be a few archery videos popping up and we're getting an early start to the outdoor season, so Linda and I will probably be doing some shooting and getting some I mean, I might as well pick the, the good days and just start getting the Reading site tape ready. I have literally nothing better to do right now. Chet? So NFA Indoor Louisville, uh, you know, obviously is one of those events that's kind of part of the deal in terms of the, call it the casualty list for now. Um, you know, it's been put off because of the public policy in Louisville and the NFA's concern for public safety. And uh, so Bruce, as we speak, is working on a new plan. You know, and that could that could work out to our advantage, maybe. Bruce is the man with the plan. I'm confident in the Bruce. You know, there's definitely a silver lining to this. I think. Yeah, what's that? I think that it is good to have a little change up in, you know, in the in the way the schedule is going to work out. It could possibly work to your advantage. Yeah, it, it, you never know. It might be, it might be a better way of doing things. You know, I was a proponent. I always said I hated the fact that we shot any indoor after Vegas. So maybe maybe we kick off the year, the indoor season, with NFA Indoor Nationals from here on out. You know, that, that's an option. And it, uh, if you look at golf, golf's biggest event, you know, one of golf's majors comes right at the beginning of the year. You know, and NFA Indoor is one of the major events in archery, so... No, no reason why we can't lead off the indoor season with a with a big shoot. Um, huh, it, it's exciting to think about having a, a change in in uh, the formats and not shooting out indoor archery until late March, so that we can actually get started on outdoor. You know, as the weather starts to turn better and all that. Yeah, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Vegas. Uh, they just signed a Bruce and the foundation just signed a new three-year agreement with the South Point. So uh, Vegas shoot will remain at the South Point. Potential for some changes to be announced in April involving the schedule. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that is. We'll talk to Bruce about that at that time. But uh, uh, think ahead to maybe the possibility of a few of the th- events within Vegas being switched around a bit. That's how things might possibly go. So that, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I'll, like 
I don't know. I don't want to comment on potential changes or whatever, but, you know, assuming things stayed the way they were um, the last few years, it, it wouldn't hurt to have a little schedule shake up at Vegas as well just to be more accommodating for people. Yeah, and I think that that is possibly part of what's being discussed. So uh, we, we will go into that uh, next month when we talk to uh, Bruce after they've had their foundation meeting to to go through their schedule. But a birdie in the window has told me that uh, some, some schedule stuff will be shifted around a bit. So we'll see some potential for some change. And uh, I don't expect them to deviate too far from the formula that has made Vegas year after year record numbers. I mean, people love it because of a number of reasons. They love it for flights because everybody feels like they have a chance to win. That's not going to change. They love it for the spectacle. That's arguably not going to change. Uh, gosh, I do hope they do come up with a way to change the way the judges call the shoot-down, though. That that could maybe use a change. Yeah, yeah, there was... Just saying. Yeah, there, there were a lot of... There's a lot of issues there. I actually timed it from one end to the next. I think from the start of the first scoring end to the start of the second scoring end, was like, I don't even remember, like 20 minutes, 11 minutes, something. It was like 11 minutes. It was crazy. And, uh, and then some other stuff with the, you know, once the winner has been decided, and then you kind of like just, there were legitimately people who thought that Jesse won because he's still shooting. You right, know? right. And he ended up second. So he won that continued shoot off. And it's just like, hey, how about, once a winner is decided, you know, let's look into another way of settling the rest. Yeah, let's let's call it let's call it good and those guys can flip a coin or something. Yeah, or then it goes back to qualification X count. Yes. Or, yes. You know, yeah. total something like What that. were your standings? What were your standings going into it? Your relative standings going into it? Boom, done. Yeah, and I I also do not care if you say these guys tied for second. Sure, split the difference. Split the difference, and now manufacturers need to have a way, you know, when they're paying contingency money to say, well, tie for second, you know, that's going to be blah, 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 or whatever. Yeah, if you had a three-way tie for second, you get one-third of your contingency or whatever. Yeah, there's some way to figure that out. But, and and, the best way to do it is obviously have some sort of tiebreaker, and that could be day one score, and X count, yeah. you know, and then... But you do understand, you, you, you do understand the nightmare scenario. The nightmare scenario is it gets decided on the very first end and you still have 15 guys standing there to still figure things out. That That's part of the problem. Yeah, it, and you need that guy who just wanted to get his day in the sun because there, there are a lot of people who don't... <laughs> Kyle didn't get, his, didn't get his due. Well, that's arguably the case for the last couple of years because Chris certainly didn't get his due either. <laughs> yeah, well, he did a year later, I guess. Yeah, um, eventually. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Sergio won in a, a clean break, if I remember right. Correct. Was, and he got the ride yeah. to Chariot. You know. Yeah, well, yeah, both his times. Well, no, that's not true. His first win when he rode the Chariot, they still had they continued the shootout after that. That's true. But the Chariot, the Chariot eclipsed that whole thing, man. You cannot. You know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. They shot off after he won last year too. Yeah, yeah. And he did not get his chariot. No, no chariot last year. You, you know, I mean, how many times can you do the chariot? Actually, they should do the chariot every time. If you're going to do a chariot, a flaming chariot, you should do it every time. 
Yeah, absolutely. 